It is encouraging as we assemble together on Sunday evenings to study together from God's Word, as we have studied for the past several weeks from the book of Ecclesiastes. Several of you have commented the fact that you enjoy this study because it presents a side of God's Word that perhaps we do not always grasp and study. We are discussing the ponderings of the preacher. The preacher is Solomon. Solomon is looking at life, and Solomon is trying to discern the meaning and the quest of life. And after several lessons, the theme seems to have become repetitive. That is, the message is the same each week, and the conclusion that Solomon draws is there is no satisfaction under the sun. I have thought this past week about how much life at times seems to be joyous, but even as we find joy in this world, we also find sadness and sorrow and difficulty. In fact, try as man might, he is met with frustration and failure. In other words, you want to do the very best you can in life. You want to be successful. I think it is as the song says, earth holds no treasures but perish with using. However precious they be, yet there's a country to which I am going Heaven holds all to me. Chapter 6 continues with the emphasis that we have seen in the previous. And thus one must make the best out of the life which he has now with the focus being on the future that is in front of us. And so tonight we're going to look at two very basic ideas. The first one is found in the first eight verses of chapter 6. They are the quest for satisfaction. I want to be happy in life. I want to be satisfied. Where can I find that? And in what can I find that? And then the last section, beginning with verse 9 going through verse 12, is questions for the one who knows. And that's a real deep thought that Solomon presents us with. Let's begin, first of all, with this quest for satisfaction. I want you to look with me as we're going to read verses 1 through 8 together. I realize the passage that Brother Dale read was right in the middle, but let's see the full perspective of what Solomon will say. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common to man, or among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity and an evil affliction. If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better than he. For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness. 
for its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Even if he lives a thousand years, twice, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. All the labor of man is for his mouth. And yet, the soul is not satisfied. For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? Now, as you begin, he talks about, I beheld the tragedy. That's the way the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates that word, which the New King James and the original King James translate as evil. And that is the idea. This is what I have seen. There's a tragedy that happens among men. But what he says, I saw that it was common. How many times have you looked at people who have suffered greatly in this life? People like Job... People who've had, maybe for instance, they've lost their husband or their wife young in life. Maybe they've had a child who's been killed in an accident. Maybe they've lost their job. Maybe there's been a a reverse in their health. It just seems as if life has piled in upon them. But do you know something? Tragedy, difficulties, problems are common. You look at almost every person in this world and you ask them, have you had a tragedy in your life? And they'll begin to tell you, well, yes, this is what happened in my life. What things do people believe will bring them real satisfaction? If you were to make a list, okay, what, what kind of things would you say would make you satisfied and you happy? Think in your mind right now, what would make you happy, really satisfied? I'd suggest to you probably the first thing people think is lots of money. Somebody would just submit my name to the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, and there'd be a man drive up to my door with one of those big checks about this long and said, you've won $10 million. Most of us say, I would be satisfied. Others might say, if I had a large family, and this family we could sit down and have a dinner like a Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving picture. You know, mom and dad sitting at the heads of the table, the children sitting on both sides and the grandchildren, everybody smiling, the turkey being carved. Oh, you just find all that happiness in that large family where everybody gets along. Someone says, I think I could be satisfied if I would know that I'd live a long life. Be able to live to the ripe old age of 100 or 110. Oh, if I could just live that long. Or if I could just find a job that I love, one that I could just enjoy the labor of life. Were any of those on your list to make you satisfied? If I could just find that right job, if I could just get a good family, 
Let's explore that with Solomon for just a moment. Look at verse 2 with me. A man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all that he desires. Here's a man who has got it all. In fact, he lacks nothing for himself. What does that mean? He has all the food he wants to eat. He has all the clothes he can wear. He has a very fine home in which to live. In fact, listen to Psalm 73, verse 7. He said, Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. You think about people who have that kind of wealth. Luke 12, 15, Jesus was dealing with a young man who wanted an inheritance that came to him. And the reason why is he thought, if I just had more and more and more, I would be happy. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's not what you can measure success by, nor satisfaction, nor happiness. In Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus said to them, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you see that wealth will not and cannot satisfy? He gets wealth, but he's unable to enjoy it because a foreigner consumes it. You get all this, you work hard for it, you acquire all this, and then you look, somebody else is going to enjoy it. To consume it. And you think about that did not provide for you any satisfaction. Well, let's go to the second thing. As you go to verse 3, the first part of that verse, he says, if a man begets a hundred children. And I know some of you are thinking, wow, that's a lot of kids. But you know that the idea of begetting here does not necessarily mean that he is the direct father of all of them, but that he may be the grandfather. The word beget in the Bible can indicate not only the father having a son or a daughter, but also a grandson or a granddaughter, or even a great son, grandson or a great granddaughter. And I will tell you in biblical times, they had many more children than we do today. That was something that people thought was important. It was a sign of a blessing from God. Listen to Psalm 127, verses 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Picture is you've got a bunch of arrows. You want a lot of them. They were your security. Genesis 15, 5, to Abraham then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, him, So shall your descendants be. He said the blessing to Abraham was, Look at those stars. You're going to have that many children that will come after you. And yet, how many large families have been beset with strife. How many small families have been beset with strife? You think you have difficulty dealing with a brother and a sister? Imagine if you had 40 brothers and 40 sisters. 
Can you imagine that? In fact, just take one biblical example. You remember when Gideon, also called Jerubbabel, had gotten to the end of his life, and the people said, we want you to rule over us. And he said, I'm not going to do it. Neither me nor my sons are going to rule over you. However, when he's gone, one of the children of Abimelech says, you know what, you really need me to rule over you. In Judges 9 and verse 5, then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbabel, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left because he hid himself. Seventy brothers? All dead. You're talking about a large family with difficulties? That won't provide you satisfaction either. Well, let's consider his third aspect in this passage. Let's look at the latter part of verse 3 and verse 6. And there Solomon says, If a man lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that his stillborn child is better than he. Dropping to verse 6. And if he lives a thousand years twice, I've got to think that the oldest man in the Bible that we have record of was Methuselah. 969 years. Round it up to 1,000. If a man year, lives 1,000 years, and let's just double it twice, but has not seen goodness, and then he asks, do not all, one, all go to the same place? You see, long life is generally desired. We usually want to live long. None of us want to die in the prime of our life. And I will tell you, the prime of life is getting much older than it used to be. You used to think the prime of one's life was when you're a teenager was when you hit your 20s. When you hit your 20s, then you're like, you know, uh, it gets a little bit older as you go. Listen to Psalms 91 and verse 16. With a long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Listen to Proverbs 3, verse 2. For length of days and a long life and peace they will add to you. Talking about wisdom and understanding. You see, sometimes it's not just the quantity, but it's the quality that counts. How many of us would want to live a long life of misery? Where every day was... A terrible day. I will tell you that over the past several years I have been to the hospital rooms of people suffering very painful diseases. I've seen my own mother say, let me go. I will tell you folks, Long life may appear to be something that you want now, but with difficulty, with trials that goes with it, without the goodness, it's not a blessing. And this one that Jerem or here that Solomon pictures is pictured as having no burial. For us, we might not even conceive of that, 
But what that means is this person's life, when they reach the end of it, there's no one there to show them the proper respect. In fact, Jeremiah 16, verse 4, and he mentions this several times, he said, they shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. That's sad, folks. Long life to the point where no one knows you, no one cares about you. Will long life satisfy? Not according to Solomon. But somebody said, but if I had a job that I loved, look at verse 7. All the man's labor, or the labor of man, is for his mouth. And yet his soul is not satisfied. Let me ask you a question. Why do people work? To make money to be able to eat. Listen to Proverbs 16 and verse 26. The person who labors, labors for himself. For his hungry mouth drives him on. That almost seems self-evident, doesn't it? Why do we work? It's because we want to be able to eat. We want to be able to have things. That's what a man is motivated by. There are few people who really love their jobs. You take away the pay and most people will quit. I'm one of the fortunate ones. I get to do what I want to do. I like what I do. But I'm going to tell you, most people don't. Most people have to realize that what it is, it's work. It's work. Many seek a job where they can find meaning and fulfillment only to realize in the end it's still work. They have to just put their time in to do their job so they make money to be able to feed themselves. And the questions of verse 8 force one to face the reality of what do you really have. Let's say, for instance, you go work at a company and they are the kind of people that reward you with a plaque when you leave. You walk out with that plaque, what do you have? A piece of wood, something engraved. What if they give you a gold watch? What happens to you five years after that happens? I spent seven wonderful years in Clarksville, Tennessee, working with a great congregation of the Lord's people. I believe that tonight, if I walked in that building, there probably wouldn't be anybody there who would recognize me. But seven years of hard work in trying to build up that congregation. But do you know what happens? People leave, people go on, someone else takes their place, and nobody remembers who they were or what they did. You think you found satisfaction in work? You walk away from it and you see. Verse 8, For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? What do you have? Does that get sort of depressing to you? It does to me. Because if you can't find meaning in lots of money, you can't find meaning in a long life, you can't find meaning in a large family, and you can't find meaning in the labor in which you 
give? That leads me to verses 9 through 12. Questions for the one who knows. Let's listen to Solomon again. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for wind. Whatever one is, he has already named already. For it is known that he is man. And he can not contend with him who is mightier than he. Since there are many things that increase vanity, how is man better? Now listen carefully. For who knows what is good for man in life all the days of his vain life which passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen to him or after him under the sun? To me, the key questions in verse 12, who knows what is good for man in life? Well, I want to ask the question of the one who knows the answer. And one thing is certain, I don't know the answer and you don't know the answer. God is the only one who can answer these type of questions. Listen to Jeremiah 10:23. O Lord, I know the way of man. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. None of us are brilliant enough, wise enough, or understanding enough to figure all this life out. We're just simply not that smart. God is. I'd like for just a moment to reflect on Job after he and Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, and Elihu had bantered back and forth about the meaning of life and about why life was like it was. And you get to Job chapter 38, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now you prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know or if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? And he goes on firing questions at Job. Surely you know, Job. You've been talking about it. Job doesn't talk till he gets to chapter 42, verse 3, and he says, You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered things what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Job says, I don't have the answers to the questions. In fact, I don't even know all the questions. What does the one who knows the answer say? Well, let's look at verses 9, 10, and 11. Here's what God says. Number one, in verse 9, place more emphasis on what you can see than on fanciful dreams. Success will come from hard work, not from having your head in the clouds. Listen to verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering desire. This also is vanity and grasping for wind. In 
Proverbs 17, verse 24, we read, Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding. But the eyes of the fool are in the ends of the earth. I know what our society today says. Dream big dreams. Imagine, conceive, keep your mind focused out there as if you can think out of the box. And God says, keep your mind focused on what you can see, what you can know. Verse 10, man is not in a position to question the ways of God. In Job 9, verse 32, we read, Whatever, or let me read verse 10, I'll read Job 9, 32. Whatever one is, he has been named already. For it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. It's been named already. God's already made it clear. You are man. That's who you are. You're not God. You can't contend with God because he's mighty. In Job 9.32, For he is not a man as I am that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. Job is saying in Job 9, I can't go and drag God into court because we're not on the same level. We're not on the same plane. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, You're down here, and I'm way up here. Romans 11, verse 32, as Paul is discussing God's salvation of the Gentiles, he said, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Can any one of us say to God, Let me tell you how to do it? Solomon's conclusion is, You want to ask questions to the one who knows the answers? You better not question God because he already knows the answers and he will reveal to you what he wishes for you to know. Third observation from verse 11. There's way too much talk on man's side. And I want you to notice carefully the word translated things in verse 11 because the Hebrew word there means it's something that is said. Let me bring up chapter 6 and verse 11. Since there are many things, really the word is something said, so since there are many words that increase vanity, how is man the better? You talk, I talk. We're trying to say, we're trying to figure things out, we're trying to talk it through. How are we any better? My words are not worth anything. God's words are what's worth something. Proverbs 10, verse 19, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 27, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. I think that what Solomon is trying to say is, folks, we need to back up and realize God has prescribed for us the correct pathway of life, and we need to learn to be dependent upon Him for it. Life is frustrating. It's often meaningless. 
filled with each of us searching for meaning in life. And the question for us is, to whom shall we go? Isaiah chapter 8. Should we go to mediums and spiritists? Or do you come to the New Testament, to John chapter 6? And Jesus says to Peter, would you also go away? And here's how Peter responds. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One. To whom shall we go? If you don't get anything else from the book of Ecclesiastes, it drives us away from this world. And it drives us to listening to the Almighty. God knows our past. He knows our present. And He knows the possibilities of our future. So let us humbly submit to Him. Would you take your songbook out now as we prepare to sing the song, I Am Resolved. What a great privilege it is to be a child of God and to enjoy the blessings of being forgiven of our sins. If you've not yet become a Christian, your sins have yet to be forgiven. I know you may have sought God, but... If you seek Him, you have to seek Him on His terms. You will do that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him, and being baptized for the remission of your sins. At that point, you are added to God's family, to the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Sometimes, as the family of God, though, we become like the prodigal son and we leave and go into a sinful pathway. And God, as a loving Father, is always looking for us, ready for us to come home. Maybe that's who you are tonight. As we sing this invitation song, if you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?